Welcome back to the Boxing One podcast. This is episode number 28. Wow. We are here today. It's me, my co-host, the homie, Chris Lasseter. What's up, man? Uh, what's up? The homie in Virginia with all the VA love. Too bad the VA teams didn't do well in the March Madness tournament, but we're going to talk about that, right? Then you going to go there? <laughs> That's what we're going to do, man. You know, I got to I gotta have at least one VA dig. Come on, bro. Let's go ahead and hop. Let's read episode. <laughs> Let's go ahead and hop into these topics, man. We got to start with the final four. Have to, right? Got to. And we're going to go to South Carolina, specifically the University of South Carolina, which we usually don't talk about in basketball. They're usually a football school, kind of ish, even though I'm not a big fan of South Carolina because of the old ball coach. Um, but their basketball team has been on a hot streak unlike any other maybe similar to UConn's run I know you were talking about Michigan the past couple of weeks but South Carolina is like the new Michigan okay you were a little bit off you were probably about 800 miles off you were talking about Michigan you probably should have been talking about South Carolina and one player on this team has been going absolutely nuts crazy and his name is Sendarius Thornwell. Remember that name, Sendarius Thornwell. A lot of people don't know that this dude won the SEC Player of the Year. He's a senior. He's been averaging about 26 points a game in the tournament. He ran through Duke and then ran through Marquette. I think he had 24 against Duke and had 29 against Marquette with 11 rebounds. And here's the thing about him. Like, he had a lot of attention coming out of high school. He was South Carolina Player of the Year, and he didn't have one-and-done aspirations. So here he is, this senior guard who's 6'5", big dude, averaging 26 points a game, and he's in the tournament. Lonzo Ball isn't there. Josh Hart isn't there. Frank Mason's not there. The guy Swanigan from, from Purdue aren't there. Those are the four finalists for the Naismith Player of the Year awards. But who's there? The homie Sendarius. The homie Sendarius. Here's what I like about a recent article I read. It said that he had similar qualities to my boy. You know, I got to have a Spurs reference, right? My boy, Bruce Bowen. And he plays on both ends of the court. So I kind of like Sendarius, man. I really do. I don't know how he'll pan out in the league. I'd like to hear your thoughts, Chris, on him. I know you got a homie with the inside scoop on Sundarius, man. So I need to hear from you. What are your thoughts on this dude in the NBA and what he'll do? Yeah, so my homie, Will Saxman, uh, when I did campus ministry at my old high school, I went to be the manager at South Carolina. And one of the things he tells me is when you're at the games, you could just see a pro. You just look at. I think he was at Kentucky and just saw Euless play. He said he's just different. Like uh, when you see him play, he's just different. And one of the things he's always told me about Thornton is he's just different. And so um, I, I take my man Will, I'll take his eye test and say, yeah, like, I mean, I've been hearing this name for a long time in conversations with Will. He's just saying like, Chris, this one's different. Um, but I'll tell you why. And I, I, this is what I love March Madness because you have these stories, you know, like when else would we have paid attention to USC basketball? But this is what I love, love, the love. The other USC, right? The other USC. The other USC, uh, not the OJ Mayo USC. Um, 
the East Coast USC. But where else would you pay attention to these teams? And I'll tell you why I think it's a little bit different than Michigan is because they did not win the SEC tournament. They got knocked out by Alabama and were even a little bit nervous maybe coming into the tournament about where they would be seated. And just to make sure you got in, like, I mean, they definitely deserve to be in, but it's one of those where they've been on the outside as I think the year before as the team that people were like, why didn't they get in? So they get in and they make the most of that opportunity and they're making an amazing run. They look like grown men out there playing. You can tell that they have an older squad that's been together for some time. But um, I'm cheering for them to keep making that run in this tournament, man. Yeah, so so with that said, Final Four coming up, right? Final Four is this weekend. I need, okay, I need your perfect picks right now, okay? In a perfect world, who do you have winning these games this weekend and then who do you have as the national champion I need, I'm, I'm counting on your prophetic voice here give me both carolinas and then the northern carolina winning wow that was easy i'm gonna go with oregon man i think oregon's gonna take it why your boy phil knight was cutting down the net my boy phil knight why he gotta be my boy just because i wear nike sometimes because you he, just he, picked he, oregon I mean, Oregon's entire facility is is a state of the art. Like it's on on the moon facility, man. Phil Knight has really hooked Oregon up. Like that's a recruiting tool that any school would love to have. If you looked at their locker room and all that stuff, man, those boys. Boy, got if you ain't touch one clipboard, if you ain't make one layup, why are you cutting down a net? You actually should not have scissors in your hand. You're right. You're right, but Phil Knight maybe deserves it for that multi-million dollar facility. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But I do want to see Thornwell do well, man. And and I would like for his draft stock to actually not be as high going into the draft because there's a possibility that he could slip to who? My Spurs. And that would be great. So, so we're we'll about see. to take that L to the Warriors tonight. You lost your mind. By the time this post He'll be weeping and apologizing to me, telling y'all the truth. All right, our next topic is uh, one that came out last week in a meme, and a lot of people retweeted it. It got retweeted about 50,000 times, and it has like 38,000 likes as of today. It was a report of a viral image that showed 14 girls in a picture um, and said that there were there were 14 girls missing over a 24 hour period in Washington D.C. and they happened to be African American girls. Obviously, Black Twitter blew up. The internet exploded because we're right in the middle of the healthcare bill fiasco in D.C. and right in their backyard. Apparently, according to this image, 14 girls went missing in 24 hours it was like somebody was out there snatching black girls alas we found out that that report those photos were actually false and misleading because the photos and images were actually of girls who were missing but not over a 24-hour period probably over the past several years so uh the truth came out but it brought about a conversation about black girls minority girls and children um going missing 
and the response of the law enforcement community. So according to FBI crime statistics, about 37% of all missing people under 18 in the U.S. are black. Now, that's kind of a disproportionate number because uh, we're still a minority in this country. So that sparked the conversation, even though it was fake news, it actually sparked conversation about a real issue that people may have been overlooking, including the people who actually started having the conversation about the issue and were upset about it because they probably overlooked it before then. So then the question becomes, we're in this era of fake news, right? The question becomes, how do we handle these fake news items when they actually may address very well real issues? How do Christians who are committed to the truth of the gospel, how will they go about addressing these types of issues, Silas? Yeah, so first, I guess the first thing that kind of strikes me is um, I went to journalism school. And so we always knew, like, you had to have everything accredited by a second source. It couldn't just be one person telling you um, if you wanted your story to be authenticated, especially if it was something like breaking news, um, that you had to have two sources or it's something you had to see yourself. Like if I saw the building burning down, I can write the buildings burning down because I saw it. So it's just fascinating to me like that basically you would hope like certain sites have more credibility than others um, due to holding to high journalistic standards, but that's not the way society reads them. So essentially if you have a website and you have quotes in the story, um, everything pretty much gets treated equally. And sometimes it's hilarious, right? Because how many times has Eminem died on the internet? But then other times it can be horribly tragic, misleading, and hate-infused, um, and very um, opinionated in the name of news. And so that's something that's just brand new. And I think, like, ultimately what we have to do is, one, just be careful about what we read, where we're getting our information from, but then just realize, too, like all truth is God's truth to quote Augustine, you know? So if you see something and you can verify that it's true, even if it's not as spectacular as the fake news made it seem like that's something that we should be concerned about. And now that it's on the radar, we should do our own research, but then say like, all right, now that I know the truth on this issue, um, to the best that I can confirm it, like what, what does the gospel demand I do as a faithful witness of Jesus Christ in the situation? And I don't want to be that person who who jumps from issue to issue. Like I see my son like playing with his toys or my daughter playing with their toys. And then they lose interest in one toy and jump to the next one and leave it right out in the middle of the floor. And I'm like, why are you doing that? Like you only spent a few minutes playing with that toy. And I think that a lot of us can be like that in this this age of social media where trending topics become the topics we hop on uh, without giving it real thought and action after the fact. Like, what are we doing to affect legislation to help move people towards caring about black bodies being snatched? So when this dies down, what's going to be the next thing? That's my question. So I think as Christians, I'm challenged and, and other people probably should be challenged, too to make sure that we're not the ones kind of jumping from toy to toy or jumping from story to story. Rather, we're actually um, sticking out um, and 
and dealing with these issues on a real, real tangible level where people are starting to get found and people aren't running away from home. These young people aren't running away from home. So uh, prayers are going out to the families for sure. Um, but I just don't want us to keep keep getting caught up in these cycles of social media stories. You know what I mean? I think the scripture that automatically just comes to mind to you, um, just from the imagery you said of your, your kids going from toy to toy, is God talking to Jeremiah. And um, now these people are aliens in a new land. And, you know, more than anything, they probably just want to return home. But God says, hey, you might want to just go ahead and start building some houses and getting involved and you might as well go ahead and garden. In other words, your alienation here um, and alienation is one of those themes that runs all throughout scripture, but like your alienation here is not going to be a short term visit. And um, you being an effective witness in this community is going to mean putting down some roots and rolling up your sleeves and not treating it as that toy, you know, like um, effective Christian witness or covenant community witness in the old testament is going to be like you're going to be here for quite a while and i've always tried to take that approach is um like i want to be a long-term gospel witness in my community not someone who is a flash in the pan and gets hyped about this just want to be consistently faithful loving my wife um parenting my kids in my community and um being a consistent light so um jay rich speaking of um my community my community is very diverse and some of my guys uh on the block um i try to uh tell my pastor sometimes like hey um in urban communities we have unique questions about scripture and it's interwoven into our story to know um you know that the gospel is not um the white man's religion or that there is a difference as frederick Douglass said um, between the true gospel and the gospel that was used to promote slavery. And um, in 2017, there's been a lot of just um, social media stories about just that thing, which in, inspired you to do something really neat um, on your own website where you did a six-part series um, on some of these myths. Man, tell me what you've been up to with that series. Uh, yeah. So the gist of it is contextualized apologetics. So what we have, and I experienced this in seminary. So I'm a seminary graduate. And during seminary, like I really didn't experience a lot of contextualized content. So throughout church history, if, I, if I'm taking American church history class, like I didn't learn about um, early proponents like Lemuel Haynes, who was very impactful in the African-American church early on. I learned about a lot of Western um, Euro European Anglo folks, but not a lot of African-Americans. Uh, same thing happens in the systematic theology space and especially in the apologetic space. So uh, you're not going to find certain content in Walter Martin's Kingdom of Cults. And part of that was the reason why I decided to actually put together some small material for folks to be able to reference because we're in an era and it started out in January when I saw a video of a young lady declaring her wokeness, whatever that means. So she went on a 10 minute rant about the Christian faith 
and how it was the white man's religion and how she was now woke as part of this black consciousness movement. Now, this isn't something new. Like we've always had Pan-Africanism in the church, um, surrounding the church. We just haven't had a cultural apologetic to address it. And I don't blame the mainstream people for not doing so. So this isn't me putting together a 400 page book on apologetic. It was more so, hey, this is how you start conversations. Which maybe one day. <laughs> so I put together uh, a six part series just dealing with some specific questions that came up in that video or came up in a separate video where a black former pastor who is now a black consciousness guy um, started to kind of rail against Christianity. So those six specific posts, they're on my site. And I just walked through some of the objections in terms of um, some linguistic choices, uh, the King James Bible and its usage in the black church and how the King James was authorized by King James, but not necessarily written or dictated by King James. We have some historicity issues in there. Uh, there's also one popular myth on on Jesus being this copycat God who copies Osiris and, and Mithra and other gods. And I, I kind of walked through that and debunked that. So, so several posts just dealing with some of the Hebrew Israelite or black consciousness objections to, to the Christian faith. And I've been getting some really good feedback because people get this every day in their timelines. They, they, they get these, what I call YouTube theologians who post these grainy videos of math, quote unquote, master teachers telling them these false facts about the Christian faith. So I just wanted to, to dive into those from a theological perspective and as a seminarian to help some folks out. And, and some folks have told me it's been helpful. So. All right. So I want to real quick, I got two final questions to wrap up this part. So Jay Rich, you got somebody who young dude, um, 16 year old, been going to church all his life, but this is the first time he's been challenged. And now he feels like his faith has been shaken a little bit um, because of some of the stuff that he's seen, some of the YouTube theologians. Um, what are you going to point him to, um, to reaffirm his faith in Christ in that scenario? Well, first of all, I, I would point him to his local community if, if there's a church there or if he's part of a local body. And my prayer would be that uh, someone on the pastoral team would be able to to help him to work, work through those personally. Because, I mean, you can read a six part blog series, but some of those some of those paragraphs in my in my text, they're going to have some follow up questions. So. Being able to dialogue and sit at the table with someone is going to be definitely going to be immensely important. I probably would also just reach out to him and say, hey, we don't have these resources yet in the black community, but they're coming. We're working on them and there are some out there where I'll be able to point him to. So point him the resources, as I mentioned last week, like Jew 3 Project and uh, the Eric Mason uh, conference that's coming up this summer. Uh, and then finally, man, just just asking him to, on a spiritual level, just continue to pray. And, and God will, here's the thing about God, okay? I, um, this is why I'm so passionate about it. So as a, as, a, as a senior in high school, I got 
approached by a cult group who want to be part of the group. I didn't know answers when they asked me questions and I felt grieved in my spirit. So this is why I'm really passionate about apologetics now. So I prayed that very day when I felt grieved and God kind of brought some confirmation in my life in a news story telling me that this group specific group was a cult praying on college students saying, hey, you're on the right path here. So I would just say continue to, to pray as well. So those are the three things I would suggest for him. All right. Next question is. All right. So we got a young fella, um, pretty much just normal dude, got caught up, had to do a little bit of time in, in jail. Uh, was in there, heard a little bit about the Moors and the Hebrew Israelites, um, not really enough to join one of those groups, but just enough to kind of like make him question Christianity. And um, he sees that you post some of this stuff. He sees some of the videos you put up. He wants to go to lunch. Um, what, what are you saying to this guy? Well, if I sit down with him, you know, honestly, I would just kind of ask him, um, what type of questions he does have um because i'm pretty sure in dealing with them or having conversations with them usually when people talk with groups like this they get into this confused space and there's a litany of questions that they may have so initially i would just kind of ask him hey look man i've been there like i've i've encountered folks like this I've dealt with this. I've wrestled with my faith um, and I've come to a conclusion that the gospel is over and above everything else. And I did that in a logical way. So I, I just want to sit down with him and say, hey, ask me those questions because I had to go and do that for myself. Like I had to go and and do that soul searching myself. But as a resource sitting there right there in that space, I definitely would would tell him that I'd be available to sit with him until the food gets cold and, and go through some of this. Like that's how I, how sincere I would be about making sure the, the gospel stuck um, in that young man's life. Yo, that's my man, Jay rich. I appreciate it. Hey, you guys have to go back to the uh, John Richards jr. Website and definitely check out some of those articles that I think began right around January. We'll also have links to them when we post up all this stuff for the podcast. Already, man. Hey, listen, man. Now, this is a segment I I like the most because I know that you're a very astute young man and you have a library um, that I aspire to having. And I, I love hearing about the things that you come across that may be resources for other people. So what is on your shelf or on your on your book stand or on your nightstand or something even around you that you're like, man, able to know that this resource is something that could definitely help them grow in their faith. Well, Jay Rich, a lot like you, um, I needed the gospel to make intellectual sense to me. So apologetics books like More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell were huge to me in my own faith. One of the things that made me passionate about apologetics was talking to um, a black consciousness person right when I first became a Christian. And he started asking me questions about, uh, what was he asking me about? Um, the way Judas died, um, because he said, oh, it's different between how Luke wrote it in Luke and how Luke wrote it in Acts. And I didn't know any better. And I didn't even know about that story. I was just hyped that like I was one of Jesus's peoples now. 
And so that really started me on the search to have answers as well. But if you ask me for one resource today, it wouldn't be a resource for the head, it'd be a resource for the heart. And it's a spoken word piece by Chris Webb called Mattress. And I've probably listened to it like 30 times within the last week. So it's the Old Testament story of Hosea, but it's set to inner city Cleveland. And um, it's just a rescue story of how the gospel rescues us. And I love it. And it just um, stirs up my affection for Christ. And that be there's nothing I could recommend higher than that right now. I saw that too, man. It, it's amazing. So I certainly would recommend that to folks as well. My resource is actually something uh, along the same lines, along the lines of, of apologetics from what I've talked about earlier. So there's a free resource out there from Credo Courses called The Resurrection of Jesus um, by Gary Habermas. Um, and we're going to include a link in the show notes. I don't know how long it'll be free. I assume it's through Easter, but there's 29 to 30 modules just walking through um, the resurrection is historicity and, and other issues that some people have with with the resurrection of Jesus. And I think it's an on time resource for some folks who who may have some Easter questions about this very real event that is at the heart of the gospel. So we'll certainly include that in the show notes as well. Closing shout outs, man. What do you got, Chris? Yeah, my, my closing shout out got to go to. My man, Tim Harton, who I did campus ministry with about 10 years ago, but he entered the the initial inaugural uh, Boxing One podcast competition or contest, and he was the winner. So he got some free headphones, got a John Richards book, a CLAS book, and uh, Andrew Russell's CD. So that was dope. And Tim's my man. I was glad I couldn't send it to a nicer guy. So that's my shout out for this one. My shout out is actually for the person who put together the 2K one-on-one match between Jordan and LeVar Ball. He actually created LeVar Ball in 2K and created Jordan in 2K, and we all know what happened. So shout out to the person who took all that time to actually create (laughs) a player named LeVar Bell who was wearing a Lakers outfit and probably was rated like a two or a three. He was shooting all types of air balls. I thought it was pretty epic. So shout out to anonymous donor. That dude was funny. That joint is so funny. To internet. Where are they playing? What is the background? I don't know, but all I wanted to see what happened on the court, which was great. That was great. All right. So this has been episode number 28 of the Boxing One podcast. I'm your co-host, Jay Rich. And I'm here with the homie C Last. We appreciate you guys for joining us for this episode. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and rate and review our podcast. Leave us a review. Also, head over to Twitter to our, at Boxing One Podcast and follow us. And head over to Facebook, find our Facebook page, the Boxing One Podcast, and like us and join our group. We certainly will be communicating with you all there. All right. Until next time, grace and peace to you all. We'll see you next go round.